be reading from chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. Be to God. Let's pray. O oh, gracious God, we thank you for the love letter that we have in your scriptures. We pray now this morning that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the middle of a three-part series entitled Created for Community, as we examine our relational identity as human beings. Last week, we looked at Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of Adam and Eve. God creates Adam and he places him in the Garden of Eden. And God sees that Adam is alone and that that is not good. So God creates Eve that Adam might have a companion. We are created in the image of a relational God, but when we are isolated or alone, which over half of Americans are today, we fail to thrive spiritually, mentally, even physically. Our own health begins to diminish when we feel a sense of disconnection. This week we're going to be talking about friendship as we look at the bond between David and Jonathan. The Bible is filled with stories about human relationships, but there's perhaps no friendship throughout the Bible that is more famous, more well-known than that between David and Jonathan. As we talked about the problem of loneliness last week, it's clear that the reason loneliness is such a pervasive issue is that our very understanding of friendship, the idea of friendship in our culture, has fallen on hard times. That's why so many people are lonely. Many of us might have hundreds of friends on Facebook, but how many of those people really know what's going on inside of your heart? I don't think it's actually possible to have hundreds of friends. So last week I did a little exercise and I went through my Facebook friend list and I was like, who are these people? I don't remember meeting you ever. You ever tried that before? We need a biblically rooted understanding of friendship, especially today. So we don't have time this morning to cover the entirety of the friendship of David and Jonathan. I encourage you when you get home later today or tonight, sometime this week, go read 1 Samuel chapter 20 as a great example of their friendship. But instead this morning, I want us to look at three aspects of their friendship and ask what does God have to teach us about it. Before we do that, I think it's important to provide a little bit of context and historical backdrop to the situation. The account of David and Jonathan is found throughout 1 Samuel and into the beginning of 2 Samuel. But before the time period outlined in 1 Samuel, you'll remember, Israel had been rescued from slavery out of Egypt, led by God's agent Moses. Israel and God had created a covenant at Mount Sinai, when God gives the people Torah. And the people had been led into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. 
Before the time of kings, the tribes of Israel were ruled by what's called judges. These regional, military, political figures. But soon the people come to the prophet Samuel and they say, we want a king like all the other nations. Give us a king. Samuel reports this to God and God says in 1 Samuel 8, listen to the voice of the people for they have not rejected you, they've rejected me as their king. In other words, God says their motives are wrong, but nonetheless, let's give the people what they ask for and see how this goes. And so Saul is chosen to be the first king of Israel. The man who looks the part, he's tall, handsome, full of promise, like a young Robert Redford maybe. But he also has deep, deep character flaws. He's dishonest, impulsive, lacks integrity, and he seems incapable of acknowledging his own mistakes. He eventually will disqualify himself by blatantly disobeying God in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel. And so God will raise up a new king, to eventually replace Saul. And the most unlikely person is chosen. The insignificant, youngest son, shepherd boy, David. And within the midst of this drama with King Saul's unwillingness to relinquish his power and his throne, and the up-and-coming popular Shepherd boy David, who has great faith, great confidence in God, who has recently just defeated the giant Goliath, in the midst of this drama, enters Jonathan, the oldest son of Saul. Jonathan is an accomplished warrior. He's a leader, and he also has a strong faith in God. And as Saul's oldest son, Jonathan, would have had the birthright to the throne. But God has anointed David. Jonathan, as a man of faith, understands this. And his commitment to God and his commitment to David take priority even over his own birthright. He tells David in 1 Samuel 23, David You shall be king over Israel. And the scripture says that Jonathan strengthened David's hand in the Lord. This leads us to the first aspect of their friendship I want to highlight. Commitment. Commitment to each other, but especially commitment to God's will for each other. True friendships are built on commitment, not convenience. Now, if we're being honest, this one stings a bit. Because this day and age, we've grown to appreciate convenience in every aspect of our lives, including our 
relationships. And we wonder why we're lonely. But Jonathan and David's friendship is built on commitment. In our text this morning, we read that Jonathan and David make a covenant together. And they'll do so again in chapter 23. A covenant is an agreement. It's a partnership. It's an act of trust and a commitment to loyalty. In the church, we speak of marriages, right, as covenants. In theology, we speak of our partnership with God as a covenant. A covenant is a promise that I will stand with you. God's promise to us through the gospel is a covenant. Jesus says at the table, which we will soon partake, this is the new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. When we place our faith in Christ, we make a covenant with God based on faith and commitment. When David and Jonathan make a covenant, Jonathan gives David his robe, and he gives David his armor and his weapons. The robe is a royal robe as the king's son. He is giving David his birthright to the throne. His weapons symbolize his allegiance on the battlefield. Jonathan is setting aside his own claim to the throne and making a commitment to David because he loves David. Love requires commitment. The word for love used in our text in the Hebrew language implies not just personal devotion, but also political loyalty. Jonathan is making a statement that he is going to follow David, that he will be there for David. And he backs it up, not just with his words, but also with his actions. Jonathan will save David's life more than once. Saul even tells Jonathan in chapter 20, Do you not know that you have chosen David to your own shame? Do you not know what you're doing, Jonathan? For as long as David lives, as long as the son of Jesse lives, you shall never be king. That doesn't matter to Jonathan. He's loyal to David. Most importantly, he's loyal to God's will for David. In the movie Family Man, starring Nicolas Cage, perhaps Nick Cage is one of his best films. He's come across harder times of late. But Nick Cage plays a character named Jack. And at one point in the movie, Jack tells his friend Arnie at a bowling alley that he's planning on cheating on his wife. You can see Arnie's face in the moment. He looks absolutely shocked and disgusted at his friend. He calls him out. He says, you are crazy. Do you not know that you're going to ruin your marriage? You're going to ruin your life, everything you've built? And Arnie talks Jack out of it. You know, it's interesting that most of King David's downfall comes after Jonathan dies. 
What would have happened to David and his kingdom if Jonathan would have been there saying, don't do it. Don't be a fool. Good friends are committed to us and they are committed to God's will for us. Second observation about their relationship, Jonathan and David speak the truth to each other. And not just about what's going on behind the scenes. They're not just updating each other on on plots and plans. But they're honest about their feelings. They speak emotional truth to each other. The two men loved each other dearly and they weren't afraid to say it. And they weren't afraid to show it. They They weep openly together when David's life is in danger. After Jonathan dies, David will tear his clothes and he will weep and cry and he will say, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Greatly beloved were you to me. Your love to me was wonderful, passing that love of women. Oftentimes, this kind of emotional openness makes many of us feel uncomfortable, especially the men. But I also know there are plenty of women who are also uncomfortable with feelings and showing affection. I've wanted to preach on the friendship of Jonathan and David for a while, and almost any time I had mentioned this to someone, they would say something about them being gay. There are entire books written about that very question. Were Jonathan and David gay together? It's an interesting question. But the truth is, the Bible doesn't go there at all. It's a modern question. The ancients aren't wondering about their sexuality. I think there is something about our own discomfort with their closeness that makes us even ask the question in the first place. Some may think, well, men aren't supposed to be that close together. They must be gay. That's the very problem, friends. We assume that affection and being open about our feelings is something that two straight men can't do. That's wrong. Our culture idolizes the solitary tough guy like John Wayne, or Rambo, or Ron Swanson for you younger folks. And so we have a society filled with men and women who do not know how to emotionally connect with members of the same sex. Or they don't know how to emotionally connect with anybody at all. For many of us, talking about our feelings or showing affection... Well, it's like trying to speak a foreign language that we don't know. When David says that Jonathan's love surpassed that of women, you have to remember that this is coming from a guy who has multiple wives and multiple concubines. His most significant relationship in his life is that with Jonathan. Because clearly David isn't satisfied with any of the relationships that he has with his wives because he keeps on getting married. 
David never had a better friend than Jonathan. He's not afraid to show it, not afraid to say it. When I first got here three years ago, uh, we went on men's retreat, and Dr. Ed Smith came and spoke to all of us men, and he addressed about our tendency as men to have a hard time being affectionate with each other. And so there was a room full of men, and he kind of he asked the question, who here has a hard time getting hugs? And Dave Brannon, I don't know if he regrets this or not, but he raised his hand. And so Ed Smith had every single man in the room, there was like 50 of us, give Dave Brannon a hug. But you know something? To this day, every single time I see Dave Brannon, he gives me a hug. Just this morning when I was going to ask Dave for his permission to share this story, I walk up to him. I kind of wonder what's going to happen here. And Dave says, hey, Dan. <laughs> he comes in. Gives me a big hug. Is it hard for you to show affection? Is it hard for you to be honest about your feelings? Oftentimes, those of us who don't know how to say or what to say, what we're feeling, are the same people that don't know how to pray what we're feeling. You know, most of the Psalms were written by David. Many of them, while he was on the run from Saul, they are deeply emotional prayers. Perhaps as we learn to speak truthfully about our own feelings, about our own emotions with each other, perhaps then we can learn how to pray truthfully about our feelings to God in honesty. And friends, if you try that, watch your prayer life transform into something powerful. Experience the depth of relationship that God made you for. Experience it with each other as you learn to say, I love you, my brother, my sister. Or I'm hurting. Or I'm lonely. Or I need help. We need to learn to talk to each other. In honesty, so much of our dysfunction in relationships comes from our own emotional disconnection as it is with our relationship with God. They spoke the truth. Third and final observation. Their friendship was based on sacrifice. A sacrifice is a love offering that costs us something. This, friends, is at the core of what it means to be friends in Christ. A willingness to make sacrifices for the other. Tangible acts of love, grace, and care. This is the friend who drops what they're doing when you're in crisis. This is the friend who picks up the phone at two in the morning. 
We've already mentioned what Jonathan willingly sacrificed for David, his claim to the throne, even his loyalty to his own father, Saul. But David makes sacrifices as well. After Jonathan dies, David becomes king, and David seeks out any living descendants that Jonathan might have, and he finds that Jonathan had a disabled son named Mephibosheth. So what does David do? He restores all of Saul's lands to Mephibosheth, and he says to him, from here on out, you shall dine at my table every day. David goes above and beyond to make sure that Jonathan's family is taken care of, and it costs him. It costs him money, it costs him lands, and it costs him his time, sacrifice. We hear stories of soldiers and police officers who lose a friend in the line of duty, and those soldiers will go above and beyond to make sure that their fallen friend's family is taken care of. You know, if I die anytime soon, I really hope my friends are going to be there for Sarah and my daughters. Love is our willingness to make sacrifices for each other, to show that we care. Commitment, honesty, and sacrifice. Many of us don't have a friend like this. But if you want friendships like this, we have to be willing to be a friend like this. And we need to pray to God to send us a friend like this. There have been times in my life where I have looked around and I said, I don't have a close buddy <laughs> right now. And when I pray to God with that need, it's amazing how God will send someone to you if you're willing to look and if you're willing to do the work of being a friend. Amanda already quoted it today in the time with children, but Jesus says in John chapter 15, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. Jesus teaches us in his life, in his death, in his commitment, in his sacrifice, in his words, he teaches us what is love. And by doing so, he teaches us what it means to be a friend. Let's pray. Oh God, how grateful we are that we can always look to you as the giver of relationship, as the model of what it means to be fully human, to be fully a friend. But at the same time, God, you built us to have friendships with each other. I pray, God, for all of those who are experiencing loneliness in their life right now. God, that you would begin working at their heart. 
working in their life, that you would be teaching them, equipping them to be this kind of a friend. And that you would send them friends. So that, Lord, this day and age, that the very church could begin to model for our lonely world what it means to be in relationship with each other, what it means to love, to care. And in so doing, we become the light that you say we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.